This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the House of Pain, GameStop YOLOers. This is the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I'm Jack Belzer, joined, as usual, by Dan Hodgman. And John Doherty has joined us again this week. John, how you doing? Doing very good. Thanks for having me again, guys. Glad to have you. Excellent. Well, today we have a very special, sort of like a breaking news podcast, because we know the best way to cover the news is with something that gets released two days afterwards. But... Uh, we're doing the best with what we have. We were going to do technical analysis part two, but now that'll be next week because we kind of had to talk what everyone is talking about, which is the ongoing Shakespearean saga of Robin Hood, Reddit, GameStop, Citadel, Ken Griffin, Steve Cohen, Point72, AOC, Paul Gosar, Ted Cruz. Everybody has weighed in, and it seemed like a good time for the Limit Up podcast to do the same. So today we're going to talk about the mechanics of short squeezes, how it applies to futures markets or Forex if you trade them, and also our thoughts on how this could change the retail trading industry going forward, because it really, really could. So Dan, since you did a delightful TikTok video the other day, (laughs) why don't we open it up with a little bit, Dan, you want to set the scene on the current situation involving GameStop? Absolutely. Well, as we all know, it started from uh, a little thing called Wall Street Bets, or so I thought was little, ends up being a hell of a lot bigger than I thought. And basically, they started noticing that companies were short 140% of what the company was, uh, of the available stocks. So they saw this as a great opportunity. They were heavy shorts, um, Wall Street Bets, and apparently people have been looking at this for quite some time now, even pre-pandemic. Um and Wall Street Bets got it going and basically said, let's all rally this stock. Let's get in this thing. Let's start buying it. Let's send this thing to the moon. That's exactly what they did. And in doing that, there is this intermingling, so to speak, of, well, big money behind what was happening. And it all started with a hedge fund called Melvin Capital was uh, taking a big loss. Melvin Capital needs Citadel. Citadel had money loaned out to them. Um, Citadel needed to get their money back, and Citadel is a big buyer of data from Robinhood. So word on the street is Citadel contacted Robinhood and basically said, all right, stop letting people buy this stock. You can let them get out of their shares, Um, and they kind of locked up buying a little bit. Uh, It came back. I want to clarify. It came back. Buying is now at limited quantities, I believe, um, and caused a frenzy. And this frenzy was across the board um, from little guys on Reddit to uh, politicians to hedge funds. You name it, everyone's involved. I've watched a lot of a lot of billionaires crying on CNBC over the last week over this situation. Um, just because the, Rob, the GameStop thing is kind of, for the most part, seems to be done. Uh, lots are going to happen. Other, other stocks are getting involved. I think you're going to start to see... Uh, maybe some regulation getting involved here. Um, I don't know, taxes, maybe there's going to be more expenses. Robinhood has this business model of commission-free 
Um, yeah, and how that's does that where, change? That's where I'm going to rewind to, and this will be our first fork in the road too. Before I hand it over to uh, JD for his thoughts, uh, have to respond with a few things right away, so as to avoid any, shall we say, uh, negative experiences with our lawyers, etc. The word on the street about Citadel is purely that word on the right, street. Right, just word I mean, on the street. We don't want to accuse Citadel of because that would that that's something that would be illegal to do. What Robinhood um, claims is that they needed larger capital requirements uh, be, be, because so many people. It's an unheard of situation with so many people. You know, I was using one place systemically where the little guys at risk is if I personally, if I was a hedge fund manager and I was in a position of GameStop and I had their cumulative shares, they can contact me. I'm their point of communication. They can see I could put up collateral. They can see my equity and stuff like that. But with hundreds of thousands of people with the same position trading on margin in some cases, clearly their uh, risk management models which we harp on quite a bit here, were uh, taken to the limit. So we'll rewind and I'll get JD's thoughts on this because where I want to start this conversation is with zero commission trading because I think this is important to understand uh, going forward. And JD, would you, uh, you kind of understand the business model, right? And if not, I'll help you out. Uh, Kind of give us how Robinhood kind of makes money. Uh, rebates from market makers. They get paid for order flow. That's about it. Right. That's so it in a nutshell. the old model, uh, the E-Trade baby would have you sign up for E-Trade and then you'd pay seven ninety five every time you bought stocks or something like that. And that's a pretty clear business model of how the brokers make the money there. Robinhood kind of shook up the game by offering these zero commission trades. And as we say, nothing is for free right? It's valuable to someone. So they sell the order flow to market makers, chief among them Citadel. And the reason they're paying for them is because it gives them information. I think this whole story is interesting because all sides, it has to do with information and who has what information. Now, that's where some of this regulation is going to come in. So the zero commission trading has become table stakes in the brokerage industry. Everyone, I trade on Fidelity, they have zero. All the big brokers are doing the same thing at this point. And this is sort of a test of whether it's sustainable. So obviously there's a lot of outcry. So to start, Dan, how is it that we talked in the coach's playbook today about float and short interest? Float is the amount of shares of a stock that are available to be traded, right? There's a finite number. The mm-hmm. short interest is the percentage of them that have been lent out as shorts. How the hell do you end up in a situation where the short interest is higher than the float? That should be impossible, right? You'd think, right? It would make sense. Only sell what's available. Um, and Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the amount, it's how, how often that they're looking at what's out there, if I'm not mistaken. So they're looking at it on a weekly basis. And borrowing against, correct? Yeah, I, I. This goes into the information about this episode. Is part of the reason that there's been these violent price moves is that the the aggregate short position of the market is something you know. It's easy when you all trade through an exchange like the CME. So with futures, it's easy enough to right. know what the short interest is. You can see that 
whenever you want. With stocks, it becomes complicated. Now, I am not a PhD in financial engineering. Did I tell you guys that? I'm not. Uh, you sure? Uh, I am pretty sure. I used to trade with a couple of guys that dropped out of the program, so I think that makes me like <laughs> a uh, financial engineering practitioner or something like that. But uh, basically, it's very hard. The NASDAQ will release every two weeks they release the aggregate short interest on the stocks in the nasdaq but day to day it's a real it's a real game to try and figure out exactly how short the market is because this goes back to information as you heard the rallying cry of the short squeeze there's 140 percent short we can't lose well that's stale data we don't know who's been covering their positions we don't know if they've been buying calls for instance uh, way out of the money to hedge and both sides i think of this trade ended up in a situation where they didn't have good information uh the people that were short have no idea what the resolve is of the retail community and what other big money might be on the long side of the trade and the people that were long are kind of grasping at straws as far as what the short interest is right Mm -hmm. And combine that with some of the word on the street stuff, suddenly a uh, strip mall video game place became a a, a class war, <laughs> which <laughs> is, I mean, that's completely insane. So we talk about big money. It wasn't just the retail traders. This trade kind of gained steam because uh, Michael Burry of Big Short fame, he's uh at least in the movie. I've never met the man personally, but the crazy guy uh, played by Christian Bale. I don't know if they mentioned it in the movie because it might detract from his character, but did you know that he was in medical school and I believe fell asleep during an operation and that's what he left medical oh, school? Yeah. That would, that would force your hand. I heard he was in medical school. I did not hear that story about him though. Well, yeah, because he was up all night trading. Uh, the guy is uh, a much better manager of money it would appear than uh practitioner so it's pretty good to turn out that way anyway he was talking about it there was some fundamental reasons that gamestop might not be a great company but not be driven into the ground bank uh through bankruptcy which is what all the shorts were trying to do at the hedge funds when this was trading around three or four dollars and if you're short more than a hundred percent the best thing you can hope for is that the company goes bankrupt because then no one asks questions yep yeah, and they make a lot of money doing it. Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, as futures traders, most of us futures are forex. It's kind of necessary to have to be able to go long and short. Do you consider that sort of different? What What's your guys' opinion on the idea of shorting stocks in general? Because Elon Musk has gotten a lot of not not that the guy needs more popularity, um, but he has it all out against shorts. Which, once again, that's part of the reason Tesla stock is so high is because there's been so many shorts, but I digress. What's your guys' kind of feeling on the role of short sellers in the equity market? JD, you want to start? Well, first of all, it's to provide liquidity. Uh, there aren't a finite amount of futures contracts that are issued, you know, a buyer and a seller create a contract. So it's a different game altogether. But in order to create that volatility or the long and short interest, you need somebody to take the opposite side of a trade. And that's where market making in the futures markets is so much different than in a stock market. As far as this particular play goes, I did not get involved in it. I know plenty of people that did though, and they're still in on it. 
and they're still yellowing. Traders are out there, whatever. Uh, Keith Gill is, if he's still in, I'm still in kind of thing going on. And it brings risk management into play, which is another thing. If you look at what's happening in equities markets right now, I mean, if you're trying to short the top, you're probably, you know, getting run over a little bit here and there, uh, or selling rallies at least. I mean, you got to keep risk tight and these, it seems like the short interest in the stock play was, it doesn't seem like they were obviously not hedged correctly. And, uh, we're seeing the result of it. Uh, the guys who got in early are going to walk away with some life changing money. Uh, the people that sold their Pokemon or baseball card collections or whatever to buy a couple shares, <laughs> they're the ones that are going to lose their couple of hundred bucks, you know? And I just hope that, I hope they all make money. But at the same time, it's like, uh, I mean, I really, I really hope they took some time to, uh, plan out an exit strategy to compensate for the way some of these people are just diving in. I think you're spot on. I think that's a great point to make. You know, a lot of people got in on this because they heard, oh, it's going to be quick, easy money. But if you don't have that exit strategy, you know, we say it all the time, know where you're getting in, know where you're getting out. And it doesn't matter if it's stocks, if it's futures, if it's gambling, whatever the hell you're doing, you got to have that strategy. You have to know when you're going to call it because when you see the volatility in this thing, when you see it moving 100% in a day, which is doable with stocks and we can touch on the difference between stocks and futures there, which I think is going to be important even to the Forex side as well. Um, when you have this ability to have a market move that much, I think it becomes one of those things, enough is not enough and you keep wanting it to go. And I don't think a lot of the beginners or the new investors into this world probably had an idea of what could happen. Um, you know, there's that mentality of, okay, I bought it at a hundred, it hit 500, it's going to go back to 500 or I'm up to 50 and it's going to keep going or I'm, you know, it was, it hit 500. Now it's back to a hundred. I was up, you know, 500% and now I'm scratch. You know, you have to keep those things in mind. And I think a lot of people, you know, JD, like you said, a lot of people are still in this thing. They're holding on and screaming YOLO uh, for the older people out there. That's yellow stands for you only live once or, uh, as a friend of mine in the Marine Corps used to say, why polo? You possibly only live once. Um, he had that tattooed on him, which always made me laugh. What, what was it? Was he Hindu or? He was just a very strange dude. He also had, <laughs> he also had a bunch of SpongeBob tattoos on him. So he was a strange guy. But every time I hear YOLO, I think of why polo. Um, but I digress. As I, feel I was like saying, YOLO would be a reason for not getting a SpongeBob tattoo. But <laughs> you know, right. everyone do your own thing. Yeah, right. It was uh, something you got to be cautious about. And I think you know, there's a lot of people um, that are going to got the thrill of this idea of trading, and it's going to bring a lot of. We've seen this year, 2020, I should say, brought in a whole new demographics to this world. Um, you know, sports gambling was gone for a while, brought a lot of younger demographics into this. This is going to do that as well. And I would think what's great about it is you're seeing new participants into the marketplace. And the key is they'll have to learn. I think this will be a good learning experience for those that, you know, took some loss. Um, but that's the thing with stocks too. You're a hundred percent, you know, you're risking a hundred percent of what you put into it and you got to be careful of that. You want to be cautious of that. Yeah. And anyone who's ever traded, has probably learned an expensive lesson at one time or another. 
And I think for anyone still holding out on this thing, waiting for it to go to the moon, as they say, this might be their trial by fire. Yeah. Call me old fashioned. You know, I'm obviously not old enough to be a boomer, but I still think 100% profit in two to three days is pretty damn good. <laughs> Take it and run. Uh, yeah. I'd like to say if I was in on this thing, I'd be out of a good chunk of it around the 100% mark and maybe hold on for a few just to see if there's a ripper or not. But uh, I know some people are going to crash and burn on this, and I'm just... I mean, they already have today, certainly. There's people... As as we talk, it's trading around 100 down from the absolute highs of 500, but it was trading consistently above 300 for a bit, trading at $3 a couple of months ago. I want to make clear here that we're all... Before we kind of dissect this further, that we all want to see the... Uh, small guys win absolutely i i say that as a preface because as i go into some of the things that i want to touch on here involving like information and confirmation bias that i i'm not trying to be you know a freaking stooge for the, the hedge fund industry or something they can all kick rocks i i don't where are your special interests jack what are Who's my special? I'm trying to figure out what my special interests are. You know, if, <laughs> hey, if there's any special interests out there that would be interested in, uh, you know, giving me some <laughs> bills to <laughs> lobby uh, the audience of Limit Up, uh, I'm open for business, right? We can get one of those fat lobbying contracts. But uh, the the information and confirmation biases, I've lurked on Wall Street bets for a long time just because. I always thought it was interesting and I was always interested in seeing from a volatility standpoint kind of what the what the people there were talking about because it was going to mean that the stocks were going to be volatile more likely than not. I just see a lot of um, the attitude there. So when you enter something like this trade when GameStop's already up, you know, 1600%, it ceases to be the normal things we talk about as far as risk management don't really apply. I mean, I guess you can hedge yourself with certain options and stuff like that. But when we talk about keeping tight stops in the futures market or something, it's it's nothing like this. And I think that the confirmation bias thing is on Wall Street bets. It seems everybody had the opinion that because they took for complete certainty that it was people were short more than the float was and that if they held that this was going to end with uh, the people short basically begging the company to issue more stock and some sort of like negotiated buyout for $10,000 a share or something, which doesn't appear to happen. I would think that the short interest is pretty low right now. Maybe it gets loaded up again here and we see another squeeze. But I think it's it's one thing to think that and talk about it. Some of these, I won't call them conspiracy theories, but sort of more out there ideas of what could happen but when you're putting money behind it and just saying that this is the only outcome that i am willing to sell for i mean i respect the the uh cojones that takes but um then then that ceases to be trading that's that's just gambling Mm -hmm. it is yeah 100 percent is you know you're riding you you, you're you got a good hand you're doubling down you know, you're up a hundred percent instead of saying, All right, I came in with a thousand, I'm walking away with two thousand, instead of saying, Yep, I'm gonna walk away. No, you're trying to turn that thousand into five thousand, that thousand into ten. Um, you just keep doubling down and 
you know what? A lot of people like JD was, I like the analogies JD used selling Pokemon and baseball cards to, uh, fund. And I'm sure a lot of these people that maybe got in really at a good price, maybe a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. And they got this thing to 400 and they took that money that they had and they bought another share at 400 and then they lost their shirt on that one. And now it's the typical human nature of, well, the money's already there. I don't have physical ownership of those dollar bills. So I'm going to stay in this thing. I'm going to ride this thing out and hope that Wall Street bets gets another, uh, gets another rally going. Yeah. I hope that they do. I think it's important we touch on, I really want to kind of dive into just comparison because I know most of our followers here are futures and uh, Forex. And like, I kind of want to touch on a couple things and how this is going to be a lot harder to do the futures forex side. You know, first off, JD kind of mentioned there's an infinite amount of futures out there available to trade. Same with uh, currencies. Um, let's start with futures. Futures have limits. There are going to be controls where you're not going to make a hundred percent in a day. Well, you're leveraged, so yeah, kind of, but in you're not going to see these markets go up 100% in any given day. We have limits. They're there for reasons. They're there to kind of control and maintain a volatility. To try and short squeeze, you know, the S&P market, it just, it's not practical. It's not realistic. Uh, there's too big a money in something just like that. Is it possible? For sure. We gave a couple examples on Coach's Playbook today, how markets can be, kind of maneuvered by one big person. Um, and when it comes to the Forex market, there's a lot less information that comes out. We don't have an idea how much is traded. We have this assumption that there's, you know, billions of contracts traded every year, but we don't know exact volume. You get an you can get an idea from the platform you're trading on through the brokerage that you're using of how much volume they've had, but there's multiple different platforms. You're not getting volume of Remember, there's currency exchanges when you go to the airport. That is the Forex market, as, for, as simple as it is. You don't have this idea of volumes. So you're really unsure of where the positions are. And also, it's a currency that is backed by a 90%, you know, a vast majority of them are currencies backed by major economies, major countries. They can't afford to see their currency get this short squeeze or something of that nature. Um, so it, it's a really balanced market there as well. Right. And we'll repeat a point we made in the coach's playbook, sort of fundamental economic level, is that for these big short squeezes to happen, there needs, or any short squeeze really, there needs to be limited or finite supply of something. So because the indices for futures that a lot of our traders trade uh, they can make as many contracts as they want because they're cash settled. Uh, at the end of the day, they don't have to go out and get, you know, there's only 70 million shares of GameStop out there or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's why you see with equities like VW, Volkswagen back in 2008, those are where you see the most explosive short squeezes because there is literally a finite amount and if uh, the only way to get more is if the company decides to release more, but you know why would they in this sort of scenario? Um, but with the commodities, when you are delivering things like oil or grains, then you do have delivery obligations. And oil, for instance, is a finite resource. 
Um, it's not quite the same as stocks because, you know, the price gets high enough. We can pull at the moment. It's not Mad Max yet. Uh, we could pull more oil out of the ground. If the price goes up, you'll get more oil. It might take mm-hmm. a while. You might be screwed in the short term. But stock is so finite like that that you see those huge squeezes. So is anyone wondering if something like this could happen? No, because like the indices, the S&P 500 or something, these are huge, more than anyone. What's the market cap of the whole S&P? I used to know this. I think Trillions. It's, I think it's like over 20 trillion let me check real quick market cap s&p i think five. i think you would need a couple of central banks to get together and uh yeah this is not a, a reddit thread put the squeeze on right you know a little forum on the internet's gonna manipulate it like that at the end of the year the s&p at the end of 2020 was around 31 trillion dollars so Sounds that is right. thirty-one thousand billion dollars that is a whole 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 lot of money so you can't push that around the same way that's why you see it in even something like gamestop was uh deep on the bench in the russell uh honestly you usually see these it reminds me a little bit of the sort of like penny stocks pump and dump um so it was really interesting to see it on such a wide scale with a company that eventually got to a market cap of you know 25 billion dollars so Dan, we kind of touched on the idea of regulations. Right. I really want really quick. I just want to do something for perspective because I saw it recently when you're just talking about the 31 trillion number um, in market cap. So people have a perspective because I think when you start talking numbers that big, um, it, it, it just gets to a point where, well, that's just a lot. So in a prime example, I, I like to look at the seconds. Um, so a million seconds is 13 days. A billion seconds, 1 years? billion is 31 years. And here you go. A trillion seconds is 31,688 years. Yeah. I, so I, we well, have 31 trillion in market cap in the S&P. So, I mean, do the math there. That's crazy numbers. Um like JD said, multiple central banks have to get together to uh, manipulate that one or short squeeze that one out. Yeah. So I guess where this gets us that might affect the retail traders going forward is we already have hearings scheduled. Plus, we've only started to hear the, the bad stories. Unfortunately, today it kind of collapsed. So over the next few days, we're going to get a lot more of people that got wiped out on it. And mm-hmm. that sucks, man. I hate to see that. Um, but I think already by the end of February, there's going to be congressional hearings. And I think the key points they'll be looking at is, as we discussed earlier, uh, this selling order flow for zero commissions, whether that is a net positive for the public will be up there. And then also, man, th- this whole <laughs> this whole event, it raises... 30 questions about uh, rules. You know, you shouldn't be able to short more than 100% of a stock's float. I don't know mm-hmm. how that happened. You, um, It's going to change the industry. I think that uh, before we'll talk regulation in a second, but I think market makers are going to have to change the way they uh, write options in some sense. I think a lot of this is fueled by um, using 
outdated models to sell way out of the money options. And with a couple stocks this year, we just seen that again and again, where they, they sell them and it just starts this gamma squeeze cycle up and up and up. So Dan or JD, either of you have some thoughts on what we might see come out of this? I know Dan does. He's smiling. He's smirking over there. <laughs> I'll let you go ahead, JD. Kick it off. Uh, well, first, I don't think Robinhood's going to make it through this. Uh, I think they're going to shut him down. You talked about the penny stock pump and dump a few minutes ago, Jack. Uh, even Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, the king of the pump and dump, came out and said that uh, regulations and lawsuits are going to bury Robinhood. This time next year, they're probably not going to be around. And I don't disagree with that at all. They're the second uh, big... I this is what I worry about this cycle. Even 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 in the absence of COVID stuff, they're the second big dog IPO just to fall apart. Uh, once you look under the hood of the business model, or it gets tested when it gets tested, because WeWork is the other one I'm thinking about, and everything looked golden until they realized that they were just running a glorified uh, rental agency, and then COVID crushed them. And then with Robinhood, they're selling your information. Which, you know, mm-hmm. Facebook and Google have done quite well selling your information. But once it gets stress tested in uh, by a bunch of uh, diamond-handed trade monsters coming after them, it all, it, all, it all fell apart. Yeah, the ultimate stress test. And they failed magnificently. It was just a glorious crash and burn in my eyes. Good luck to them. That's all I can say. Yeah, I think... I think you're spot on. I don't think Robinhood makes it through. I know they just raised about $3.8 billion um, in the last week for um, quote-unquote customer growth um, and so that they can bring in more money to reinvest into um, their services to fix any issues that happened with the GameStop. Um, You know, we're – where I see this thing going, you know, I've been saying this for the last week or so. I think there's there's going to be government involvement that, you know, teach their own if you want it or you don't. Um, possible taxes involved, you know, oh, you're doing commission free. Well, you know, we want to get our, our skin in the game here. So there's going to be taxes on each, you know, possible taxes on transactions. Um, I do think we're seeing the crackdown when it comes to data with just internet companies. Um, I know the mobile cookies are going away. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that's going away of like the data to be able to sell that data. So there's might be some serious involvement when they look at this and say, you know what, Robinhood, we do not want you selling this information um, because it can be used in a, in a in a bad way. You know, you look at it personally, I look at it and I think there was a conflict of interest with what was going on. You know, do they, which customer do they really want to help out? And you have two different customers wanting two different things. You got to find a way to make which one happy. And one brings in money and one, one is free. You're leaning towards the one that pays you more. Not to a pile on Robin Hood, but you know, Vlad's never going to listen to this. So <laughs> I, I think where they messed up and this is a good this I'll bring this back to the lesson about trading. It's 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 going too far with something is maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I don't think that Robinhood should have ever been uh, letting people trade options. For instance, I think that 
I'm not I'm not against brokerages offering options to retail traders, but I think it goes their whole thing is democratizing investment and the beginners having access to the financial markets and clearly just letting people take directional bets and options is kind of antithetical to that and they never had a good answer when because uh, there were stories that came out this summer of people losing you know $800,000 on Robinhood and they would be they would say it's our mission to let everybody access the markets and they'd be like okay uh why do you let them trade options after answering a few questions? And the answer would be, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately I'm sure that's what ended up screwing them here too. And probably a lot of their users too. For sure. I mean, I, I think I, everyone should be able, but there should be stricter. You know what I mean? You just, you're not doing people a favor if you just, let them just completely go to town. I mean, I'm not, I'm not for a super regulation of everything, but I think there should be some, a little more barriers than say a five question, multiple choice test about strike prices before they let you start, you know, doing stuff like that. They would never let you do that at a firm. You'd be practicing for a while. They wouldn't even let you walk on the trading floor without going through the four hour class. You yeah, JD, you remember that that little class they I put do. you in um, down on the floor? I do, hundred percent. Before uh, you first, can check a trade, my first job as a runner. That's right. <laughs> yep. Before you can check a trade, you go to a CME or a CBOT class in a little classroom, four or five people in there, and if you're gonna run around with any piece of paper in your hand, you have to take the class before you can get your your badge to get on the floor. And you go through, I believe it was like four hours of very dry 1982 movies about what trade checking is, the basics of options, and the understanding of how it works. Um, and that was just to take a card, look at it, and go, I bought 142 calls at the 42 strike for the price of 13 and that was, you're just reading a piece of paper and you got to go through a four hour class to do that. And there's no execution. You can't even execute on the floor until you get a badge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with doing your homework first. And that's the takeaway. Everyone out there, you know, work on your strategies, do your homework, because I think now what we're going to see is a ton of people trying to take advantage of People that follow, say, Wall Street bets, we're going to have, are you guys familiar with like what astroturfing is? People use a like lot of football field. Yeah, it's a 70s playing service in the NFL. <laughs> no, I was talking about it. So it's used more in a political concept sometimes. Astroturfing is when, uh, say, a group that is claiming to be grassroots is really funded by some other organization that is trying to advance the goal. And Here's my hot take for the day is I think a lot of this uh, run up in like silver and some of these other stocks was somewhat kind of astroturfing of like goading people to be like, hey, the next big squeeze is over here. And it just happens to be the people that have been pro silver for the last two decades. And <laughs> Dan, I'm raising my Dan's hand. raising his head. There's nothing wrong with being that. But I think that I think that some of the hype machine I see online the last couple of days has been kind of disingenuous of where their interests lie. <laughs> I wouldn't say I am a uh, a two decade silver hype guy, but man, I've liked silver here for the last couple of years. Um, I do have a bag of it. 
not in my house. So no one come come knocking. <laughs> that, no, that's all good. But it's the zero hedge, hedge crowd. Every time, uh, every time gold goes up five percent, it's like you know this is the ultimate victory. This is why. Like my question's always like, well, what about the last <laughs> I've decade? Been, I've been seeing a lot of the commercials. You know, you can buy gold and silver. Um, just call this number one eight hundred. Blah 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 blah. And we'll give you a liberty nickel. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Don't don't buy stuff from TV. Do Pure your research. Silver. Yeah. So does anybody have any parting thoughts? I, th- I think that's a good kind of, I-, I guess what this all comes down to is know the information that you have and know how that, uh, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect. Know how much information you have and realize how much information others may have and try and be cognizant of confirmation bias. Don't Don't spend all your time, if you're in a trade, don't spend all your time in a group on Reddit or Discord that is all in the trade and just taking every piece of news through the lens of this is gonna this is gonna freaking kill it, guys. Well, there was a thing that used to go around on the floor, and JD correct me from I think it was called the the Bear Report, and it was just a survey of where you know at what point or what percentage um, the guys in the floor are bearish versus bullish. And once it gets to a certain point, um, there's a certain point where everyone gets leans one way and then they start buying it and they go, okay, that's our buy. Now let's scoop this thing up. Um, you know, you, you, when it gets too heavy one way, you have to be prepared for that something to change. I think, uh, my, my biggest lesson I take away from this, anyone out there that was involved in the GameStop, I hope to gosh, you made a ton of money. I really do. That's what we're in this for. I mean, that's why we do this podcast. We want to see people make a ton of money trading. Um, and if you didn't, I hope uh, the lesson JD mentioned in the very beginning, know when to get out. Um, if you didn't this time, you know, you learn that lesson. Next time you do this, don't expect 100% return in two days. Um, you have to know that out point. Know where you're going to close that thing out. Um you know, you don't have to be greedy and take everything. Mick Aranamar, risk manager here, says it very, very well. Our job is to take a piece of the move, not the entire thing. And I think that's as true as it gets. Anyone that was in this, keep that thing in mind. You know, take chunks. Don't have to take it all. Yeah, you got to stay flexible. I think this whole diamond hands meme is going to be the downfall of every new trader that just jumped into this move, you know. If you realistically think that you're going to turn 500 bucks into a million bucks by the end of the month, like, uh, you're just not thinking clearly, I just guess. Just give me the 500 bucks because you're throwing it away anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I said that before. Please just send it to me. I'll figure it out. And I'll, I'll, I'll pay you out if it works out. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's a classic Griswold meme about that, too. Yeah. Uh, I won't, I won't mention it here. It's kind of dirty. As, as we say, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have, we'll do it on the limit up after hours. It, <laughs> it reminds me, um, as we're signing off now, we say it a lot is that sexy stories get all the coverage. There's, you know, they have a movie about the big short. They we love seeing contrarians be wrong and then proved right. You know, there's no, uh, films about like, I don't know, a guy with a successful dental practice who's just like, a dentist and it's it's fine like <laughs> because we like to see things get shaken up we like to see the underdog win and we do too but know that the most realistic path 
to being successful in this or really anything else is just putting in the work, having a consistent strategy and following it and being willing to admit that you're wrong. Like JD said, be flexible. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, with that sage advice, I shouldn't call my own advice sage. That's kind of dickish. You're calling my advice sage. <laughs> call- you okay, just kind of reiterated what J- Dan, JD and I said. So Dan, the silver man, <laughs> Hodgman, uh, and JD, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me again, guys. Of course. And for everyone else out here, hey, it's almost the uh, weekend. It's Thursday afternoon, so you know what to do. Uh, go have a couple root beers or something. And we'll see you next week. In the meantime, namaste and trade well. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.